So today, guys, we're here. We have uh, Christy and Chance Brazel. Is how we say it? Last name? That's correct. All right. So um, Delta Canine Solutions, and we have some other companies we'll talk towards the end. But Chance, so one of the reasons that I wanted you guys to come on this podcast and talk the experience that I had when when we brought our dog, um, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember. My wife would correct me. I know if she was here. <laughs> but we had a golden doodle, and we bought a golden doodle. And we knew when we made that purchase that I'm going to want the dog well-trained. I grew up uh, as a kid with dogs, and most of the dogs I had were Labrador retrievers. And we had some hunting dogs, and um, I trained those dogs to do the basic things we needed to. I don't know if you ever heard of the book, The Water Dog, and that was the book I used to try to teach the dog to go fetch. And never great, never a champion, but, you know, I understood early on the value of having a trained dog or trained companion. Well, I would say companion. get misconstrued there. Uh, but, yeah, having a, a trained dog, it the difference from me having a dog that had some obedience versus my neighbor friends who didn't have one, it was night and day difference experience that we have with our dog. So when we got the golden doodle or I had the order placed, uh, I called you guys and Christy, you're the one that answered the phone and said, um, okay, tell me about, tell me about the dog That's right. you're getting. And you I, were part of the uh, golden doodle explosion. Yeah, so <laughs> I was. And, and we're thankful. We, you know, um, we, we love the dog that we have. I did not know the grooming care that was gonna I was going to be involved That's right. in. But, Nobody does. That's okay. <clears throat> but the one thing that you said on that phone to me that scared me to death is what did I say? you said, oh, my word. When I told you, you asked what kind of dog I was getting, well, that's some high energy. And I'm just like, what have I done? Uh-uh. <laughs> and you're like, no worries. We got you covered. So um, yeah. we, we had the dog. And I don't know how, I think it's six months before y'all start training, right? Yeah. For the board and train, they have to be six months. Yes. So that, that board and train process, I mean, I was counting the days till we could drop this dog <laughs> off. That's right. And hit that magic button and it'll be fixed. We'll talk a little bit more about that experience. But Chance, I'd like to go back to... Um, where this started, I mean, where did this all start with you? Uh, through my little big bit of uh, internet sleuthing, uh, it sounds like you kind of got started in the Air Force. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in training, training Okay. Dogs. Um, well, in 1997, I went into the Air Force. Um, I went into the Air Force wanting to be a um, security policeman. So when I went into the recruiter, um, they showed me all these different, at the time it was VHS, VHS uh, videotapes yeah. that they put in a VCR. And you'd watch all these different careers. And, and I've always been interested in dogs. You know, my grandfather, uh, I hung out with him and he had a Doberman and he would help, tell me to go work with BB and stuff like that. So I already had an interest in dogs. So uh, I saw this one special career field that was completely different from all the other ones. They were in casual clothes or dressed in suits with dogs and they went on a military base and I said that's what I want to do and he says well you have to be selected for that after you graduate from the police academy so I went in and um, went through boot camp went to the police academy and uh, had my first assignment to go to Florida so I was pumped up about that I was about two weeks out and then they came in and said hey we're got a, you know, a meeting we just want to see who's interested in the canine career field so everybody came in and they listed off a bunch of sacrifices, like you're going to give up your base, you're going to give, you're going to stay here for another four months training dogs under straight, you know, strict discipline and so forth. And I, it didn't matter to me. I mean, that's what I was there for. That's what I, you know, that's what I was going to do. 
And um, I was selected, and I was one of the last classes that they actually pulled from the academy class. From there on, they took them for, you had to have three years of experience. So, get, get you to pause there for a second. I did not know, and uh, so I have a nephew that went into the Marines, and he went in with that goal also. He wanted to be a canine handler uh, in the Marines. This is just recent. And uh, I did not know that there's a pretty tough selection process nowadays to Super be Super competitive. To, to get into any branch of service to be about to be a dog handler and I, I just didn't it didn't dawn on me that it was going to be that tough of a selection process so it sounds like not only back when you you did it that it was a rigorous selection process but it's even more strict nowadays yes uh now you actually have to have some skin in the game you got to be on the you know in law enforcement for three years on the uh in the air force before you can or i, I think believe throughout the department of defense because uh, it all goes through the Air Force. Right. So um, that's where I went in at. And, uh, I, you know, we train there at Lackland Air Force. We start with basically all the uh, obedience part first, uh, doing obedience. We do the, the bite work. And then once you finish that part, you get into the scent detection part work. And then basically at the end of it all comes together. Tell Brian what your first dog was, because that's funny. Oh, it was a bucket. <laughs> it was a bucket. So you spend like the, you know, the first week, you, it's about, you know, 95% of it is is field work. It's hands-on training. Right. About 10% of it's, uh, it's classroom. <coughs> so, you know, you spend the first week learning some of the classroom stuff, and you, you're spraying out the kennels of these 10 dogs, because there's only 10 people in our class. There's like seven Air Force guys, and they got three slots for the other departments of uh, Army, Navy, or Marines. So we all kind of have an eye on our dog that we want, you know. So the day that we're supposed to start working our dog, they go, okay, well, spread out your kennel. We spread out the dog's kennel, and they said, turn around. They hand us a piece of tape and said, write your name, the dog's name on the tape, and tear it off and pass it down. So I was wondering, why are we doing this? So I wrote my dog's name on the tape, and I turned around and started grab a bucket. Grab the bucket and put that name on that bucket, attach your leash to it, and that was the dog. And they so explained to us, <laughs> they explained to awesome. us because while you're training and you're learning, you're going to make mistakes. Make the mistakes on the bucket, not on the dog. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a great philosophy to be able to have. So, uh, I love telling that story. Yeah, the bucket story. The bucket story. Then, uh, kind of hard to mess up a bucket. <laughs> right. yeah. If you are going to make some major mistakes, a bucket would be better than yes, a dog. Yeah, right? I just had a little block of concrete in it. And it's funny because when you go through the, there's four, you know, it's when you go through all the weeks, you know, you start getting your dog and you see a new class and they're carrying around buckets and you just laugh at it. And you, yeah, that was me a few, yeah. few weeks ago. But um, how long did it take you to go from bucket to dog? Um, it's it's mainly like three or four days. Okay, you're just working on obedience, how to hold the leash, how to turn, the body movement, stuff like that, the body language yeah. stuff. So, tell me a little bit about. I know that there has to be. Um, I think the military is probably more prevalent than in our. Um, uh, local police departments, I would think that in the military that dog is probably going to end up having multiple handlers throughout that dog's service, right? Correct. Uh, police department in most areas is going to be a little bit different. I mean, if you're a canine handler, most of the time you're going to be, if you're good at it, if you're passionate about it, you're going to be with that dog, probably that dog's career. Is that fair to say? Correct. Yes. So is there a training difference in between training um, a canine in the uh, armed services versus the police department, knowing that that dog could have different handlers? Or do you think it's pretty much all the same? 
Ooh. The, uh, good question. Because I believe that there's, you know, although I know that you, you would undoubtedly have um, a lot of the same practices, just like my business selling real estate, relationships so important, but that relationship that you have with the K-9 of being able to develop a bond between the two, do you, now that you can reflect on it, are, were there any differences in how you would train for that? Um, or is just you're just going to rely on the dog to be adaptive? Yeah, so in the Air Force, and, and, and not, you know, we have great civilian uh, police departments in this area, great handlers in this area. Uh, but the, the, the advantage over Air Force is I was in the Air Force for six years, and I handled 13 dogs. Wow. I was with West Monroe Police Department as a canine handler for 12 years and had two dogs during that whole 12 years. So not only do you get exposed to a lot more dogs, but they'll swap you around also from a bomb dog to a drug dog. Okay. So you have to uh, be able to be willing to or be able to break away from that emotional attachment that you have with that dog because in two weeks later you're with another dog, right. it's a bomb dog, and now you have to start straining it to work with you to pass certification and do something. Right. So um, I would just the Air Force is more extensive. It's more of a, a lot more hands-on training uh, with more dogs, a lot more dogs. You just you get more experience, and that's that's the ultimate teacher's experience. I sure. mean, you can have knowledge, but knowledge is power, but the experience is the teacher is the greatest yeah. teacher. I, I forget who it was here recently um, um, was saying uh, something along those lines that, you know, knowledge is not power. It's the application of that knowledge is where mm -hmm. the power comes from. And sometimes we sit there and we, for, we forget that. So... We're in the Air Force. You graduate uh, from being, I guess, a handler, and then you get stationed someplace. Correct. So take us down that path. What What was it like from – well, tell me about the first dog you got assigned. Well, the first – I was at uh, Tyndall Air Force Base. I had a dog named Marco. Uh, he was my very first dog. Uh, and I'd also like to – when I got out of the handler school, I was one of the last classes to graduate straight from the academy. They okay. called that pipeline. They called it okay. pipeline. Basically, you pipeline right out of the academy into the canine academy. Okay. And after that, you had to have three years of experience. So I immediately, probably within probably a year, I found myself being the, or a year and a half to two years, being one of the most experienced but lowest ranking person because of the shift okay. of the career field. That makes, it, makes sense. So, um, and I didn't really realize that. <coughs> At first, but, um, you know, starting off, I got really attached to my dog. You know, I was single. The beach was in walking distance. You know, if I was off, we'd go to the beach. It'd be a private beach. We'd run the beach. He'd hang out with me, you know, with my friends and stuff like that. And then one day they just, hey, turn in your dog. And mm. in two weeks, you're going to start with another dog. And it's over, just like that. So at that point, I kind of, it broke my heart. And, it, it, you know, I, st still, I still had a passion to work with dogs, but it's just, that emotional, I had to kind of back off a little bit and kind of think it is, you know, we're professionals in this mm -hmm. and we're going to kind of do our thing, but, you know, we're not going to get too deep because sure. six months, eight months, we could break up and be on another dog. Right. And then you got to learn how that dog works and he has to learn how your timing is. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was that was my first experience with going to uh, to my first base. And I think I had two or three dogs there. So what were your main roles when you got assigned to that base with, with the canines? Well, as soon as I got there, they had a, uh, I was on a bomb dog, Marco. Uh, it's weird because how they do it is when they, when they surrender, when you, not surrender, but when they give a dog to a new handler, 
they spend about two weeks spending that dog stays in the kennel. So all they do is they spray it out and feed it. They don't take Why it out. is that? To uh, break that separate, make yes. that separation happen. Yes. So it might be a week and a half, but to two weeks, somewhere in that timeline. So when the new person comes in and I put that leash on him and I mm-hmm. take him outside to walk, he's like, I love you. Yeah. Forget the old, old handler. Yeah. Like, I love you. Yeah, they, they then, left me here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're my hero. So right. we take him out and like brush him and just take him for a nice walk. And, and aren't you with them for like a month before you, you pass some tests with them? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, most of the time. It's usually two to four weeks, depending on how fast y'all y'all get it together. Um, so from a, from a training aspect or um, an everyday working, so you're not you're going to have a bond with this dog, but you've learned that 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 dog is a tool or it's a um, uh, it's a partner for now. It's not partner forever, maybe. But when you're going through the training process and you're trying to learn each other, I would assume that at least with the Air Force, all the training is going to be consistent. It's um, everything's SOP. We're doing it like this every single time. But the results are not always going to be like that. How many times do you think it, it or when the dog and the handler are not in sync, would you say it's 50-50 handler, 50-50 dog on who's screwing up? Because, I mean, that dog is looking at you for direction. How much how much is related to the handler, the way the handler's handling versus the dog skill set, I guess is what I'm getting at. Off the cuff, I would say a majority of it's all the, the, the handler because the dog is just uh, – The dog already knows. Yeah, he's just receiving whatever you're you're passing down and he's and what your body movement and what you're doing. So it's it's all you. I mean, it's so, just like if the dog pees in your house, it's, it's, it's not the dog's fault. It's right. your fault, you know. And that's <laughs> one of the things you guys taught me like right off the bat. Even in the um, – uh, when we did um, – uh, what do you call that – Y'all did an assessment before we dropped the dog consultation. off. Yeah, so we did a consultation. And, oh, my word, you changed my life overnight because we were going through the whole potty training thing. And I'm cleaning up pee and poop like it ain't nobody's business. And I, I thought I'm doing the right thing. And, I mean, you guys just told me, so look, it ain't rocket science. What goes in must come out. And y'all shared the technique that I'm sure you still share with people about, mm-hmm. you know, um, how you feed in the kennel, you water in the kennel. All the management. Yep. And 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 it was just like the next day. We did that and the next day it was fixed. Mm-hmm. Cause you did it. Yeah. You changed. I mean, you changed. You changed. And, and I don't think people really understand that. When it comes to um training, a lot of the training is on the handler. It's on the the owner of the the animal. And that was probably the biggest eye opening experience in working with you guys is you guys took the time to train me. And it wasn't much, it was some conversation. And I had no idea how much of an impact me changing just small, simple things would have such a huge impact on how that that dog responds. So it just really blew my mind, even though for you guys, like, it was a no-brainer, but for me, it was like eye-opening experience. I've been going through all of this, this many rolls of paper towels and I'm getting upset at the kids The kids ain't doing what they're supposed to be and dogs peeing everywhere and just one little simple thing of training the owner got the dog to give you the reaction that that mm-hmm. you're looking for so as you're advancing your career through the military how did you ever find yourself to where you were back in that training role training other people 
uh, in the dog handling? Did you have any type of rotation going through that? Or are you pretty much out in the field after you graduated uh, your handling school? Um, out in the field. Um, so, I, you know, I, I spent a couple years in Florida, and then I went to um, Honduras for a year. And when I got to Honduras, I was still around um, veteran handlers, you know. Uh, and working with, like, the Secret Service and DA and Customs, you're exposed to a lot more other handlers. So how did you get involved in those other branches? Were you still in the Air Force at this time? I was still time? in the Air Force. They, uh, basically, the Secret Service, <coughs> they, uh, they, they rely at the time, and probably still do a lot, rely on the Air Force handlers for bomb detection work okay. for, for the dogs. So, because their Secret Service, they only have enough dogs for like Washington D.C. So, if the president or dignitary travels, then they would bring in a bomb dog handler from the closest Air Force base. It, so it's it, basically like contract work, sure. basically. But I, I like the chance of being super modest right now. Well, you tell me. You you dig a little deeper than for me. So he's he's actually won awards, and they only select the best to do these kinds of things. Chance is not going to say that. <laughs> but well, but can, I'm his wife, and I, sure. I like to give him that kind of credit because he really was the best even back then. So I would have to, uh, you know, emphasize that, I mean, context has to say it because we had an opportunity to go to uh, Washington, D.C. this past summer, and it was my first time ever going. It was a bucket list trip for me, and uh, we got to go to the White House and to the Capitol building. And you see the dogs there that are actually working with Secret Service or Capitol Police. And I would think that that would make sense that they have to have their focus that's there making it happen. And when they do travel, if they need dogs, they're not going to just call, hey, um, local police department, (laughs) I'm sure you got a great dog, but we need the best of the best to come out here and make sure this is for a chance to be selected. It was really it was really an honor for chance. So yeah. during that time when you get to be around people outside of the Air Force and were you intermingling with other agencies and their the way they handle dogs? Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I remember being in Chicago. Uh, they had a, a huge canine team, and they were pulling out, like, training aids that, like, blew my mind. I mean, for an explosive dog, we were running maybe 12, 14 different types of training aids, and he'd pull out, like, 20-something different training aids. And what type of organization was this? This is bomb. This is Chicago Police Department. Okay, you know, so or, or um, you know, it could be anywhere. Just somewhere big city where they have a large canine group, or I might be around a another handler that's that's been in the field for twenty years. But um, and I think that kind of stuff is really important to be able to hone not only hone your skills but to being able to learn from others that are real world practical type lessons, um, I think is hugely important because if you stay in that one box thinking this is the information I know and this is all I'm going to know, there's going to be stuff you're not going to know. So you never getting, grow. Yeah, getting, getting with other agencies mm-hmm. I think is great. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of how the Air Force career has gone before we get out of the Air Force. So, so you, once I came back from um, Central America, I was around a lot of seasoned handlers, um, learned a lot while I was down there, a lot of uh, field, practical, real life stuff. And when I came back to the States, I found that the experience at the base that I went to, I was the lowest ranking guy with the most experience. And they were uh, setting up things incorrectly, you know, that was causing that was causing problems. Like they had a girl that couldn't certify with her dog and she was on her fourth certification. And they were just going to boot her if she couldn't pass the certification. So they sent me out there to go talk to her. I went out there to talk to her, came back in, she passed her certification. And her problem was that she was using her reward for a fetch 
before mm. she came in there to do the search with the dog. Well, the dog didn't want to work because it's been out there fetching its reward the whole time before they actually did the training experience. So you paid the dog before the dog did the job. Right. So Just it, like us, if you're going to pay us to do the work before we do it, if we don't have a great work ethic, we're not going to do the work, right? Yeah. Some people are like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, fix that, you know, so, I, you know, I got into a position where like, I got to kind of be careful with how, you know, I'm going to talk to higher ranking people and, and teach them how to correctly run a training, you know. Program. So how was that received when, when you're the lower ranking person, but you've got all this experience and you know, you see the problem or you know that you have value to be able to add, did you get any pushback on that? Or are they fairly receptive? I treat them like a dog. So when I work with a dog, I don't tell a dog. I guide the dog and I show the dog. Mm. So basically, I let them set things up and I let them see the failure in it. And then I said, hey, let's set up this way. And they saw the success of it. Can I show you something different? Yeah. So I kind of let kind of let led them into it, basically. Um, and then redirect it. Yeah. And then, and then they saw, you know, instead of saying, hey, that's wrong. This is the way you're supposed to do it. They did it wrong. Then I set up the problem and they did it correctly. And then, I mean, it was received very well after that. I mean, because, I mean, you had people running the kennels um, that are ahead of the kennels of maybe eight to ten dogs that's never even handled a dog before. Wow. You know, and he's looking at training records that, that he's never even completed a training record before, you know. So a lot of it started coming back on me, you know, because, hey, we need help with this. We need help. You know, is this right? Is this right? So I didn't realize at the time, um, but I think God was kind of pushing me in a way not only to work with dogs, but also to work with people. So when I got out, you know, so that I finished out in Charleston and uh, then September 11th happened. Mm. And then they kept me in for an extra year. And that's when I went to the Middle East. How long did you serve overseas for? Oh, God. Six months. And I'll, I'll never forget it because... When 9-11 happened, he was supposed to be, he was already getting papers to, to go ahead and get on out. And then they swapped him to a bomb dog because mm. he was on a drug dog at the time. And then as soon as they, the, I remember the dog's name was Bach, B-A-K, a beautiful, gorgeous, so long now, hair. y'all married at this time? Oh, yes. Okay. We've been married for almost 25 years. Okay. We married right before I went to Hunters. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that. Chance said, I'm getting a bomb dog. And I said, you're going to be gone. They're going to, they're going to, I mean, as it was as a wife, you know, you just know if your husband gets a bomb dog, you're, you're going to be, your husband's going to be gone. Drug dogs, not so much. Bomb, you know, drug dogs work with customs. Mm -hmm. Bomb dogs works, you know, especially not after 9-11. Mm. And he was gone for six months. We didn't know. He didn't know where where'd he you, was even going. Where'd you end up getting deployed to? Um, Bahrain. Okay. So in Bahrain, um, wasn't active battleground, but I'm sure it wasn't the safest place to be. Um, what type of what type of work did they have you doing in Bahrain? Um, I know you were with a bomb dog, but was it strictly like on the base, or were you with like a protective detail with dignitaries going around and scoping things out beforehand? But so on, on a normal day. Um, we searched everything that came on the base. So you basically have a gate entry, but probably about three quarters of a mile out, you have a checkpoint that mm -hmm. you have to come through the dog first. 
the uh, most dangerous checkpoint. I mean, you get up to the base, you've done been through a couple of different layers. So yeah, so we're the yeah, yeah we're the first front line search, and um, I thought it was you know I had a black German black German um, shepherd. This is Long how he hair. got. This is how he got out of day shift. So you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's really hot in the desert, Middle East. So I know I'll say, hey, this dog is not going to work very. Which I'm, I wasn't telling a lie. It's not going to work very well in desert, being solid, long hair, black, black hair. Right. So, so they put me on straight nights, and and I was happy with that. And but you know, there's some things that happens out there that you know you question, like when people mm-hmm. you can see for miles, and they just turn off their headlights and they sit there for a mm-hmm. while. And they pull a little closer, and they turn off their headlights, and you sit there and watch them. And then they pull up, and now you got to go out there and search the car. So uh, during that time, I was in stop loss, and I really got out of the uh, the square. You know, I really got out of the box, and I, you know, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. So let's have fun. I'm just going to be myself. I'm so gonna... what do you mean by that? You you got out of the box. You're going to have a little fun. I got out of the box. Um, not doing things the normal way. Okay. Not going out there and searching one car, search a second car, search third car, and then fourth car. Why don't I have the dog go out there and why don't I train him to search them all by himself while I stay behind the concrete barrier? Sure. So basically, I, we would search everything that came through on the base, and then after we searched it, I would go back and plant something and basically have the dog believe that he missed it. Wow. So so I, psychologically, what did that do to the dog, you think? Made him think he was always missing something. So he always had to keep smelling it. So he would get to the point. I mean, I would have to drag him off the cars because he would start crawling underneath the cars because he would think, okay, it's not on the, I can't find it. Maybe I need to go underneath, you know. Uh, so, you know, normally they would go out there and circle around each individual car. Well, he would just do each car by himself. And then he would just keep searching, keep searching, keep searching. Until you pulled him off. Until I pulled him off. And then I'd go out there and plant an aid and let him find it. Oh, I missed that. So he's got a reward. Yes. So at that time, I got really, you know, outside the box and said, hey, I can do things a little different and make it even better. How was that received during that time? Or did anybody really know that you were kind of trying some new stuff? Uh, It was was received well. I mean, everybody was pretty impressed with it, you know. they wish they didn't have to go out there. Well, the reason I ask is that I know, so I've never served. If I have really one regret in my life, it was because I, I never did serve. Uh, so I'm so thankful for those who have and have great respect for that. But I know that from what I know about the military, I mean, everything is documented. It's We have a practice and a policy, and you have to take every step or somebody's going to die, stuff's going to get lost, and somebody's going to get fired or end up in jail. So you got outside the box and you broke the norm of what, what the SOP was on how we're supposed to do it. Did that did that make a lead to changes in how you guys uh, worked in the future? Or was this just something you developed and you kept with you and you just used it within your career? Yeah, I just used it with my career because you gotta have somebody motivated. I mean, that wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, that that took some work to, to uh, run the dog and not only make sure he's not false responding. Mm-hmm. So I have to do a lot of blank cars. So it was, it was a process to get him to that point. But it kept you engaged enough to try new things. And Correct. also at the same time, I mean, we knew that we had a dog that was working harder, but it also kept you safer too. Correct. Yes, because everything that goes in that base, it's if something blows up, you know, it's... Do y'all have any close calls? Um, I had, well, I said both. Because, uh, like, if somebody on the base, the dignitary, the base general would go off base, we collected mail off base. 
Uh, anytime that anything happened off base, the dog would go. And, uh, you know, we'd go out there and they'll have meetings and stuff like that. And we have to search the cars before they get back in. And um, there was one time we had a, uh, on the base, on the general, um, base general's vehicle on the motorca- motorcade, uh, I had a hit on it mm. with that same dog. And when he hit on, I was like, mm, this is a hit. We're out. Yeah. Like, we've done like 500 vehicles with no hits. This is definitely a strong hit. And they didn't find anything, but they ended up swabbing it like they do at the airports mm-hmm. and found traces of. Where there had been something there. There had some been point. something. Mm. Now, whether, you know, somebody walked by, maybe it was a, a test, maybe they sure. were. Who knows? But uh, they did test positive on the swabs. How do you, as a handler um, in that type of uh, high stress environment, um, how do you handle um, false positive or, you know, the dog hitting something and it's not there? I mean, does it plant a lot of doubt in your mind that, crap, if they're hitting on this and it's not there? I don't know if you ever had any, but, I mean, that would just do me in. If I got, like, a false positive on something, I'm like, what's happening here? Does that um, happen often? No, no, it doesn't. Um, the dog tells you, though. I mean, it's, it's a different it's a different response from the dog. It's, it's you know, one's like, hey, I'm interested, and I'll maybe okay. false response, and one's like, he's like, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, it's, he's moving all this. I mean, it's, it's so, his body language is okay. very obvious. Plus, like, I'll I'll keep walking as he's like investigating that area. I'll keep walking, and I'll get to the point in the leash where I'm actually pulling on the leash, and he's pulling me back, going, and it's all right. That's he's not coming off of that. So that kind of tells me for sure. Now, a bomb detection dog and a narcotic dog sound like you keep both of those separate, uh, at least in the military. But are they also bite at the same time or are some just I mean, that's all they're there for is bomb detection. They don't have any bite work with them. Oh, they're both. It's dual. Okay. Bite and, and for but, both dogs. But the reason you would keep narcotics and bombs separate is you wouldn't want somebody hitting on narcotics when it's actually a bomb and. You misread that, so that makes sense. Yes, because when you do it uh, with the bomb, if that was when you start off in um, in the Air Force Academy, you start off with scent detection, bomb work, and they actually you spend a few days just practicing without a dog because you do everything walking backwards and, and blindfolded you, too. And you can't trip over things. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't be knocking over things walking backwards with the dog because you got to be keeping your eyes on the dog. You right? got to keep your eyes on the dog. You got to be constantly looking back and looking where you're going and stuff. And a lot of people aren't very coordinated to do that. And I was one of them. It takes some time to get used to it, you know. Um, but in, when you get into a drug dog, it doesn't matter. You can flip cushions. You can move stuff over. You yeah, can worry about you know, something blowing dog up can you. jump on a chair on the bed. But with a bomb dog, you don't jump on anything, you yeah. know. Uh, we don't want you really touching anything because that could be the bomb itself. So, um, yeah, they're both they're all trained to for protection training and patrol training, but with drugs and bombs, it's just the only difference is, is the footwork has to be really careful and not being clumsy with the bomb dog. So you get back home from Bahrain. Uh, is this when you transition out of the Air Force, or did you have to stay? I had, yeah, we moved to Charleston, so I had to extend, I think, uh, an extra year for that. This podcast is possible because of your support of our real estate business. If you're looking to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, I'm confident we have the tools and the processes to help you reach your real estate goal. For more information or to reach out to us, check out the podcast description for our contact info.
when you got we were already in Charleston. Yeah, we was already in Charleston. I'm sorry. Yeah, so so a year after you got back, or just no, I'm six sorry. Months? From Honduras, I didn't have enough time left in, so there was nowhere to put me, unless put me back in Honduras. So they had to extend me. And out. We were already we were married at that time, so okay. um, they had to bring him back. So after 9/11 happened, he was in Bahrain. I'm thinking for six months. And um, he didn't even get his orders of where he was going to go until he was actually on the plane himself. On the plane itself, so he had no idea where he was even going to go. It was very scary. And um, and then he was there for about six months, and then he came back, and then we were just waiting for him to be released. But that happened. But how long did it take after Bahrain for you to be able to get out when you got back home? A few months. Yes, a few months. So we're out of the Air Force. What's next? Yeah. Man, this is still a crazy, crazy thing. We, um, I processed, I out-processed out the Air Force. We loaded up and moved back home. No job and lined up. <laughs> no job, up. nothing. Nothing lined up, just just came back home. Out of faith. Just, I mean, we're after you go through something like that, you just wanted it. I mean, he's from, he's originally from here, and, and, and there's family here, and um, our daughter was young at the time. And, um, you know, when you when you go through something like that, you just want to go back to your roots. Sure. You know, and that's kind of what we wanted. We just wanted to get away from the military. And we were thankful that, you know, he had that experience. And then um, he just wanted to be a police officer. And that's what we he just started putting in applications. So with you having the uh, military career that you've had, um, was it hard for you to find a job in law enforcement? No, no, sir. So, so you found a job in law enforcement. Where was the first place you worked at? <laughs> well, uh, we moved back here, and um, I thought I was taking the state civil service test for state police, and um, I found out I was taking a uh, the wrong test. Oh, I forgot about that. So <laughs> when I applied for West Monroe Police Department, they said, "Well, you need to take a civil service test." So I've already taken one. He said, well, you I took the wrong one. So, I forgot. I didn't know that there were more yeah. than one civil service and, test. And at the time, it took like three months, four months to get your test results oh, wow. back. So, so you're was, sitting there in limbo for yes. several months like, uh, I need to work. I need to work. And unemployment wasn't a big thing back then. We, there, was, there was nothing. Yeah. You know? so, so we had to get a job. <laughs> um, I had about 60 days of uh, leave from the military. So I uh, got hired on with Washington, um, Union Parish. Okay. So I worked with Union Parish. Sheriff Buckley. It was Sheriff Buckley for a year. And then I had my my correct civil service test. And um, then West Monroe hired me. And I went on to West Monroe in about six months after being on with them. I got a dog, a canine dog. So, and. uh, Yeah, it was almost immediate. So, West Monroe, not big metro, uh, metro area. We don't have a huge population, but we do have a robust police department. Canines, a police canine's not a cheap commodity. Um, what would you figure the average cost for a uh, a police canine is? Back a green, like yeah. a fresh dog. Uh, well, a dog that's already trained, bringing into like the Paul. Yes, uh, fifteen thousand probably. So, but still fifteen thousand. That's not cheap for a department to come in. So, uh, tell me about your first dog. Um, well, my first dog was actually a dog from uh, Union Parish that uh, Handler was, uh, he had his dog, and he was holding on to this dog because they couldn't find a Handler because everybody was scared of it. 
even the guy that was keeping it saying he i mean he said i don't never take this dog out this is an interesting story he yeah. says i just slide his food pan underneath the fence and i sprayed out from the fence and he said i tried to take him out once and he tried to bite me and he said that's been where it's at so i said okay so, so the dog I'll, was basically just sitting at somebody's house in union parish and it's a very expensive dog and the sheriff's <laughs> office scared of it. is paying for the vet and the food and paying for the officer's time to take care of it Wow. So I kind of like, hmm, I got an idea. So I went, so were you at West Monroe at this time? Yes, sir. Okay, so. And they were in West Monroe told me, said, when we get the, the funding and stuff like that, we're going to get you a dog. And so I was like, well, let me go back to Union Parish. So I went back there and I found out what was going on with this dog named Brando. And uh, so I went to Bob Buckley and I talked to him. He said, this dog is costing you this much money in food, costing you this much money in vet bills. I don't know what you're paying the deputy for. But if you'd like to donate to West Monroe, I got plenty of lots of experience with canines, and we'd be lovely to have it. So that's how I got my first dog. I ended up donating to West Monroe for a dollar. Okay. How and, old was the dog? Um, probably four. Okay. Three, no, four. Three or four. No, three or four. Now that's the difference between chance, um, in the pol- being a police handler and being a military handler, watching him with his dog you saw the relationship there because he wasn't afraid of losing his dog. Right. You know, so the relation, he actually had a stronger bond with his dogs because he only had two at West Monroe. So he had a much stronger bond. So with um, you striking this deal with Union Parish, West Monroe's on board, so I'm just going to trust you with this. If you can make it happen, let's do it. So Mm -hmm. you go to pick up the dog. They've already told you that the dog, (laughs) everybody's scared of it. They won't touch it. You got to pick up the dog. Walk me through that process. Mm. Well, about the first five minutes we played with the gate. So I just cracked the gate maybe about three inches and just close it. He gets all excited wanting to come out the gate. And I just crack it and close it. Crack it and close it about the three inches. And then he finally looks at me like I'm stupid. So then I close the gate and I step back and walk away. And the guy's telling me, he says, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get his energy level right before I put a leash on him. He says, you going to put a leash on him? You sure you're going to do this? I said, yeah, it's going to be fine. He goes, man, this dog's going to bite you. I said, this dog's not going to bite me. So I went back to the kennel. The dog's energy level's down. Put the leash on him. Took him out of the kennel. He tried to bite me. We went for a little walk. Came back, and everything was fine. Walk, walk, walked him back to the vehicle, loaded him in the vehicle, took him back out of the vehicle, took him for another short walk, put him back in the vehicle. And the deputy was like, how'd you do that? I said, you sat here and watched me do it, you know. But dogs sense fear. But what people Mm. don't understand is they stop there. Dogs also sense confidence. Dogs sense when you're trying something and when you're doing something. If you're trying something. Is this that pack mentality? I mean, is they want to follow a leader? They want to follow a leader. And they know what you know and they know what you don't know just by how you hold yourself, just by your posture and every, they pick up all that stuff because they don't understand this English language. If they did, I'd be out of business and the shelters would be empty. You know, 100%. Can you say that again? They don't, <laughs> they don't, if, they, if they understood English, I would be out of business and all the shelters would be in, empty. Because we'd just tell our dog, hey, stop doing that. And the dog yeah. would be like, okay, note to self. I, I find myself being um, having to laugh at myself when I'm trying to have a conversation with a dog to stop doing something. I've told you three times and I'm just like, you know, stupid. The dog doesn't understand what you're saying here. So I'm just like, crap. 
Uh, let me get, I don't want to get on a little side note here. Now, I do talk to dogs. And now, since I've been in the private sector, you know, for, and I've been doing this Delta Canine Solutions for over 10 years, I've realized that when I talk to people and when I'm in a consultation and graduation, if I'm talking directly to them, I get some attention. But if I talk to their dog, they're like really tuned in to me. So a lot of the talking I do with dogs, I'm actually talking to the person, but I'm just speaking it to the dog so to attract the owner's attention. So, I mean, you talk to your dogs and praise them and give them stuff like sure. that. But saying, hey, don't get in the trash can anymore. Don't jump on people. They're but is it not it. true that that praises more of your the energy you're projecting to the dog and not necessarily the words you're using? It's the the... It's the higher pitch in your voice, or it's the motions that you're making, or do dogs pick up on, on those words? Those individual. I know that dogs have a basic understanding. I can tell my dog to sit without any any hand motion. The dog's gonna sit. They understand what sit is, mm-hmm. but they don't understand this big vocabulary. Correct. Okay. So you get the dog, you get it back to um, you get it back home or to the police station. Um, Talk to me about kind of how that relationship started, and did y'all have any times where you had to kind of backtrack a little bit? Um, I, you know, I'm sure we had to do a little bit of backtracking. Uh, it wasn't much, though. Um, I mean, for what the Air Force taught me, you know, how to make uh, easy training situations and challenging training situations. Uh, I just set up different scenarios and. Uh, relied on the handlers that we had there too, and and we set up different scenarios just to kind of judge, grade the dog and see where he's at, and then push him to see what he's capable of doing. And that that process goes by a lot faster than what people think. They really under underestimate the 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 speed of how fast a dog can learn. They really do. Um, we just have to train us owners in how to work with the dog the way the dog needs to be worked with. Correct. So go ahead. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the only thing um, in the Air Force, we didn't do a lot of tracking. Uh, so that was one of my biggest things. I just, I dove into it. I was doing tons of tracking because that was, I didn't know anything about tracking. We did area searches, but not nose to the ground search. Right. So, uh, you know, I dove into that and really did a lot of tracking just because I was really interested in it. You know, sure. that was my weakness. Um, but, um, no, it, it went well with that dog. I mean, he was he was like definitely a one-handler dog, though. Um, There's other handlers that would never touch that dog. Yes. <laughs> George. It is, yes. Even <laughs> one, even one that, I remember one of the guys that when we certified, uh, I, it was a human error. It was my, he was trying, you need to do this. Was it George West Monroe Police Department, yeah. George? No, 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 this is, this, is another, okay. this is another guy down south. Okay. He was trying to explain something to me. I wasn't understanding him and the route that he wanted me to take. Mm-hmm. And he said, here, let me see your dog and I'll show you. And I was like, you sure about that? And he said, yeah. And so he grabbed the leash and the dog growled at him. He said, no, 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 you take the dog back and you go ahead. <laughs> I'll walk you through it. And I said, okay. <laughs> Is it very common uh, for uh, canine handlers to uh, have difficulty handling other people's dogs? Or a dog being that um, could be aggressive to other handlers? It just depends on the handler's experience. You know, um, you think another confident handler could have went up to that dog and taken over and would have been fine? Yes. All right. So uh, West Monroe PD or in the police all total, what, about 13 years? Uh, what's that? Uh, police department work, about 13 years, 12, 12 years total. Uh, the, the funny thing is, is uh, 
a military leave ended November 10th. I got hired on Union Parish November 11th. So one day after, wow, yes, my I forgot about that too. The Isn't day it wonderful I wonderful how the Lord just yeah. works things out to your <laughs> yeah. favor. Oh wow! I'll give you something else here in a minute. Um, the day I got hired on with the police department, I mean, the day that I retired from the police department was November the tenth. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So he did twelve. It was twelve, 12 years and one day. And one day. Wow! And it was veteran. It was Veterans Day. What do you think um, the change in our um, drug laws have done to the canines already working. A lot of states have went in and legalized uh, marijuana. Mm-hmm. And um, I would have to assume that many of those dogs were trained on multiple different types of narcotics. And now this state goes and legalizes that. How does that affect a, a canine trying to do work and pull the right scent out. I mean, was there a lot of retraining that had to do across the country, or do you have any knowledge on that? I would I would say it's still the same. I mean, it's still a controlled substance. It's, the dogs are still trained. I mean, it's, even though you know Louisiana might be medical, but you know it's still illegal to to possess it. You know that they decriminalize you know decriminalized it, but you know you still can't drive around with two pounds. Right. You know so. Uh, the dogs, yeah, it's just, it's still the same. It's okay. still the same. As- so um, what was, how did the decision come to transfer out uh, to leave the um, uh, uh, the police department? And I'm assuming that when you left police department, you went into, uh, um, you know, the private sector and started, was it at that point you did uh, Delta Canine Solutions? Kind of tell me what happened right after the police department. Well, it, it kind of, uh, while I was still at the police department, we were doing school searches. Um, with drug dogs and, and, and throughout the whole parish. And I uh, was at Washita Parish High School, um, and I walked by a bathroom, and, and my dog went drag, drug me into the bathroom. So the principal and the teachers kept walking, and we walked in the bathroom, and they hollered for me, and I said, y'all come in here. And there was nobody in the bathroom, but it smelled of burnt marijuana. And we walked out, that uh, vice principal said, man, I wish I could have y'all come once a week. And I think this is when my mind finally clicked, the light bulb clicked, because they all kept walking and I just stood there and thought about what he just said. And I said, I can train a dog to find all these others that this police dog can find, and I can come back with a proposal of what you want, like once a month, surprise visits, under the same certifications as a police dog, and make a private business out of it. So that's... But we have also had so many people over the years want him to do side work and train my dog. And Did you do a little you know. bit, bit of that over the years for friends and family? Really. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, but you had to ask. That was out there a lot, though. Uh, yes. We, now, yeah. I remember back when my first base in, uh, at the Air Force, um, after I got my first dog, I asked, talked to the kennel master. And I said, hey, people asked me, you know, they saw me in the newspaper uh, they want me to train their dog. Can I do that? And he said, no, you can't. That's a conflict of interest. He said, come by my house and help me. <laughs> and I was like, so I went by his house and helped him, you know? And uh, that was the last thought of it. So sure. so fast forward, we're at Washtenaw High School. And uh, so that's what we did. And um, we went through that whole process, and that was kind of a, a flop. And mm-hmm. um, one day, uh, the person I turned in the proposal for called me up. And I was like, oh, goodness, he's calling for this drug this dog. This is Ray Clary. I done sold the dog to a police department down south. Ray Clary's calling me, wanting me to bring this dog, or maybe the contract got approved. I don't know. 
But so I answered the phone, and he says, I have a, a, a teacher here. Uh, she's, she's in her, her mid-50s, and her 20-year-old son left his one-and-a-half-year-old pit bull with her. Mm-hmm. He's got, she's got scratches all over her arm from jumping on her and tearing everything up. Is there any way you can help her out? And I said, yes. And so I called her up, and I was there Friday, and I worked with her. And then before I knew it, a, um, there was another client called me before I could finish her, and it just started snowballing. And Delta Canine Solutions was basically born after that. Yes. <laughs> and then um, 2013, I opened up a Facebook page, and then it just blew up from there. So were you still at the police department when you started it? Yes, sir. And you just got to the point to where, I mean, there's just so much going on. That... Well, he had to sell it to me, too, because so, I wasn't totally on board him leaving the police department. So it's that, scary, isn't it? It's really scary. You're getting rid of um, you're security. getting rid of the the security of the benefits. That's right. The the paycheck. Right, but he was super passionate. About overtime, it. Mm-hmm. maybe the it. the duty, the extra stuff that you get, uh, the details. Yeah. Um, kind of like when I got into real estate. I mean, it's scary, but I think you'll agree with this that if you are a purpose driven individual, you will work harder for yourself than any boss that's out there that's at least true. I found myself to be that way and it sounds like you're that way too so well, a lot of people have the misconception that just because you are um, like hey I know somebody who's a who's a who's a canine handler he can train my dog just because you're a handler doesn't mean you're a trainer mm-hmm. okay and um, I think so many people put so much in there well my neighbor my cousin somebody he he, he does dogs for so-and-so here she's going to train my dog that's that's just I wish people would understand if anything just because they're a handler doesn't mean they're a trainer it's a totally different thing you, absolutely and, I mean I tell it good luck and and call us when that doesn't work out and <laughs> sure enough they, they but call even us back and show up. all trainers are not created equal I mean I've, right. I've seen some horrible things in my short life that I've lived on this earth that people do in the uh in the name of training a dog oh, and yes. some come across Absolutely. as even saying they're professional at it. Yes. <clears throat> I've went, um, won't call any names, but back when I was uh, really big into uh, duck hunting, uh, there was a, um, a Louisiana place kennel that uh, would train uh, your labs to be these champion water dogs. But these dogs come back without a soul. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or seen that happen, but I mean, literally, these dogs would work and would work hard, but it's like they had no personality, they had no soul, and I don't know what they did to them, but it just didn't seem healthy to me. Mm-hmm. So Delta Canine Solution is born. You've got your Facebook up and going, and um, I don't get to spend as much time on social media as I used to. But, man, your, your video, especially ones, the drone shots that are up there and just watching you work the dogs on the street, I mean, it's, it's impressive. And um, let me tell you a little bit about my story with my dog, with you guys. From that first phone call, which you scared me to death that I, we made the wrong decision, <laughs> but you, you eased it really quick um, to that consultation to where it was like literally overnight just giving me simple things to fix me. Now, I fixed the dog because the dog is doing what the dog's supposed to do, but you fix me, potty training, done. Check that box off, and I would say uh, a week after doing what you guys suggested, 
I mean, we didn't have to be as regimented as what we were before. I mean, the dog knew what was going on. Boxes checked were good. We go to the board and train. Did not know what to expect. We got this dog that's got like needle sharp teeth that's jumping on our kids, jumping on everybody. And we're just like at wit's end. What are we going to do with it? We thought it was going to be a great family pet. We get back a brand new dog. Now, she was just as wooly as could be, but we get a brand new dog back. And, and the amount of people who will sit there and praise us when we take our dog place are like, how, how did you get this to happen? I love that. You know, ours is just like running like a banshee down the street <laughs> and we right. can't catch it like maybe till the next day when it gets hungry, it comes back home. How, how are you able to do this? And I said, well... I'm sure I could have done it myself if I'd have had expert training, but we sent them to you guys. Well, I can't afford that. You can't afford not to. I mean, if you look at the effort you guys put into it, and I know fees probably um, are different today than we were when I was there, so we won't talk about fees, but the value is in that, that I wouldn't call our, our dog a family member, but I mean, it's... It's a part of the family. Well, your it's, dog is a family it's, member. It's yeah. in the the mix of everyday life. Right. It's just intertwined, and her energy level will match our energy level. Mm-hmm. If we're outside, want to uh, throw balls or run in place, she's not great at fetching, um, and she's got <laughs> retriever in her name. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I mean, she's fun to be around. Uh, if we, are fun. Though. If they we are. want her energy level to be subdued, we. She matches what we match, and she follows us where we go. She listens to us 99% of the time. Um, and I think what you guys do is just absolutely fantastic. Now, and I'm not going to call the names out, but I know you've actually worked with a lot of big names that people would recognize if you called them out of uh, celebrities. You've actually trained dogs for celebrities. Um, it's interesting because Dak Prescott was one of them that he – trained and he was quarterback for Dallas Cowboys but at the time we got this is a a neat little story um we got a phone call um and said you know Dak Prescott wants to use y'all to train his dog well at that time he was just drafted to the Cowboys um we're training the dog every chance is doing his thing and then all of a sudden you know Tony Romo is that his name, Tony Romo? Mm-hmm. Okay. He gets hurt, but I think he gets hurt all the time, right? So he got hurt all the time. I'm not involved in debate. I think he got hurt all the time. Anyway, so at the time, um, Dak Prescott was the interim, I guess, at the time, before they made him official. So we're, like, stuck with this Dak Prescott's dog. <laughs> And, and we have to keep it quiet. Yeah. You know, nobody needs to know. You know, we can't tell anybody because we don't want anybody kidnapping Doug Prescott's sure. dog, some crazy Dallas Cowboy fan. And we ended up with that dog for five months because he ended up being on ESPN. He was like the guy at yeah. the time. And um, and so when the playoffs were finally over with, we still have Dak Prescott's dog. And and th- throughout the season, he would be texting me, hey, how's my dog? Doing great. Don't worry about it. Just keep playing football. <laughs> you know? So, And then um, when it was all over with, um, he paid for chance to go to – I mean, when you're Dak Prescott, you pay <laughs> to give the dog trainer to go to your house. And he did the graduation and everything at Dak Prescott's house. That's pretty amazing. So that was a, it was a cool story because – when we got the dog, Dak was just 
you know, he was a Mississippi graduate, right? And and he was just drafted. And then by the time he graduated, he was just like celebrity. Mm -hmm. So during that, you know, four or five months. So it was cool. What kind of dogs, I mean, are there any dogs that are just not trainable? No, it's people. It's a people problem, isn't it? People, people can't be trained. Because they're, they're so stuck on their way of thinking and their idea and their their communication and how they do things, those are the dogs I can't work with because nothing, the, the owner's not willing to make adjustments yeah. and, and do things differently. In the consultation that you had, um, do you ever find yourself in that time to where you're sizing up the owner like, oh. I don't think this is the, we're going to be a good fit? Chance, go ahead. Do you have to turn some people away? Yes. And he does. And good for you for doing that. And he does. I do. Because uh -oh. here, here's he just did last week. <laughs> and, I, and I know you probably already know this, but I am make a huge assumption that if you did take that person on and they're not going to get the results because they're not going to do what's needed to be done, and all they're going to say is Chance doesn't know what he's doing because my dog is still broken. So it does you no good, does them no good, does anybody any good. So congrats to you there, for recognizing. Well, no, no, but let me – Sorry to interrupt you, but no, let, me, okay. let, let me add something to that. It's not really that because in a consultation, one of the biggest things I want people to see is how quickly that that change happens. And it gives those people hope in their dog. Like they think it's a lost cause, but in literally in seven to eight minutes within in front of their eyes, they see a drastic change. Sometimes, a lot of times, they'll see it before they come in the door. They're like, whoa. My dog's not doing none of the stuff it normally does with other people. And I said, right. it's okay. Your dog's already feeding off of me, and he understands. Just come on in. We'll chit-chat about it. But um, <clears throat> then what is that shift that you're saying that you're looking for with? The, the shift, uh, what, you know, so they see that change. They see that hope, and they know it's possible. What what. What pays me, what makes me feel good is when they enjoy it. When they, when I look at the I owner and they're like, wow, they're like, that's amazing. They're like, that's what like, that just, that, I mean, it gives me goosebumps. Just, I mean, that, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I asked somebody, I said, what do you think? And the guy says, oh, that's good. I said, good. I said, okay. So I kept going. He says, what do you, what's, I thought we was wrapping up. I said, no, we're not wrapping up yet. He says, why not? I says, because I don't work for just good. We're going to work till you say amazing until you say, man, I can't believe that. I said, that's what I work for. That check is just a payment. I work for that, you know? So when I have people in there and they're, they're debating with me about another dog they had mm -hmm. and well, why, why won't this work? And, and we're getting back into this. I'm not here to debate with you. I'm here to work mm -hmm. with you and your dog and, and feed you good information. It's going to help you and benefit your relationship with your dog. And I don't. I just don't feel this in my heart. And if I don't feel it in my heart, then we're you're just going to. But it's rare that that happens. You know, uh, Christy does. does yeah, I mean, there's there's two, three people. But, we, you know, like I'll give you an example. Uh, my dog's aggressive. He's bit two people. He tore up the couch. This just happened. He torqued the couch. Uh, he's very destructive. Uh, we can't do anything with him, and uh, we can't find him a new home uh, because he's destructive and aggressive. So the only other option we're going to have is take him to the pound and have him put down. So they okay. So they come in, and, and, and they literally say on the phone, "Y'all are going to be my last hope before my husband makes that hard decision." 
So, of course, I try to get them in as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I already know because I, I go through a mm-hmm. whole um, screening. Screening. Oh, trust me. I went through it. I know. Yeah. It was pretty <laughs> I go through you a whole, had me second guessing my purchase. I, I go through but... a whole screening before I even allow yeah. this person in front of chance. Okay. So she checked. I mean, the, all the boxes mm-hmm. were checked for me. To, you know, so when I find, okay, this dog is biting your husband, this dog is destroying your house, you are afraid this dog is going to bite your children, you're now, your husband is afraid that, you know, you're afraid now that your husband's going to put the dog down. I'm going to get you in immediately because it's, the last thing we want is to have a dog being put down. Mm-hmm. We want to save as many dogs as possible. So go ahead, Chance. You can take from there. So that, you know, so I'll ask you, you know, simple question. How does the dog eat the couch while I was at work? Oh. Why don't you kennel the dog? Well, that's, I don't believe in kenneling dogs. That's inhumane. The same person that's debating on putting the dog, dog in down. It, put, put down. That's what kills mm. me. That's so you're not willing me. to put your dog in a kennel while you're at work to keep him safe and make sure he's not destroying your property and practicing bad behavior and ingesting something that could be toxic or choking hazard. You're okay with him doing that but not going in the kennel. But if that doesn't get fixed, you're going to take into account and have him put to sleep. And if that's the conversation the first 10 minutes, like, I'm not not going to go any further with you, you know, because yeah. you're not a rational person. I'm not going to be able to to, mm-hmm. to to talk to you in a way that you're going to understand what you need to do because sure. you think a kennel is bad. So. But there's so many people that a light bulb goes off. You're right. I'm looking at this so differently. Yes. And and those are the people that drive us to continue to help them. And they don't look at it in such simple ways like why am I having a problem with with this? Why 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 am I okay with the last resort being putting my dog down, but I'm not okay with um you know, this dog's no longer going to have to sleep in my bed. Cuz that's one of the three questions that I ask, you know, and they're on the phone, they have issues. I literally asked, does your dog sleep in your bed? How does um, your dog, um, how do you feed your dog? And where is the dog when you Mm -hmm. are gone? I know so much information by those three questions. And, And then I'm like, okay, well, if we move forward, are you willing to not put your dog in your bed at night? Well, I'm not willing to do that. Well, then there's nothing I can do to help you. And then a week later, well... Can you tell the people just that they're listening so. why what just the one thing of why a dog sleeping in bed is not healthy? Because it creates um, a, a sense of insecurity to the dogs. They have um, attachments um, that are not healthy. Um, they have a tendency to rule the house. Yeah. So when I ask a client, um, usually the answer is check, check, check. Um, does your dog sleep in the bed with you? Yes. So when you feed your dog and you put food in its bowl, how does your dog eat? Does your dog eat the food in its entirety? Or does a dog just free feed? Oh, I just put the food in, the dog eats whenever it wants to. Okay, so that tells me a lot right there. Okay, so also when you leave and your dog is in the house by itself, where's your dog? Oh, the dog, I have no idea. The dog's all over the place. So now this tells me that it's a female. The queen is the queen of the castle. Mm-hmm. She gets to sleep where she wants to. She gets to eat whenever she wants to, and she gets to roam the house wherever she wants to go. So now the dog is making the decisions, not you. And then yeah. this is why you're having the issues. If you treat a dog, I mean, if you treat a dog like a human, 
the dog is going to treat you like a dog. Mm. Okay. That's good. I like that. <laughs> That's a good analogy. It really is, though. I mean, I can I can see that. And when I look back on people that I know that let the dog sleep in a bed with them, and then I see that dog's behavior. That's I right. Mean, it's, you match it up. And match it up. Match it up. And they, most of the time when they sleep in the bed, they are jumpers. Those dogs are jumpers. They're craving attention all the time. They're counter surfing. They're pulling on leashes. That tells you a lot of information. If they just put food down and let it graze whenever they want to, the dog's making all the rules. The dogs are making all the decisions. So when we go through that screening process on the phone, and if they're not willing to do those things, yeah. they don't get a consultation with sure. Chase. Because at the end of the day, if the dogs made all the decisions, at the end of the day, you can't come in and say, hey, I make this decision. No. You're out of here. I've been making decisions where I sleep, where I eat, what I want to do, when I want to do right. it, how I want to do it. Who are you to come in and say, do this or you can't do that? Sure. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, it's like, I don't want to give up my freedom. What are you doing to try to take this away from right. me? So we got Delta Canine Solution is is rolling. Things are good. Business is good. And then at some point, like, hmm. Why don't we get into the uh, the mobile dog grooming business? So talk to yeah. me about that, how that came about. Because I don't I think we had any of that here at we the didn't. time. Well, well, no, no, no. I'm going to take that back. We did. We have okay. a fantastic lady named Phyllis Fontenot, and I will give her a shout out all day long. Or, you know, she owns Canine Couture okay. in Calhoun. Um, so she... Um, I was sitting on the couch. I'll never forget it. It was just, we were just raining outside and it was just crappy weather. And I just said, I just wish I had somebody come to my house to wash these dogs. And I'm a retired barber. So only a barber and a dog trainer can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea you were a retired barber. Yeah. So I found out there was only one lady she's very special to me um and she just did um small dogs and she just had her own little set of clients and she was done she pulled a little trailer behind her truck and she was amazing and um i i actually saw her or actually called her and she came by a few times but the dogs that we had were large dogs mm -hmm. and with her back issues she just doesn't do large dogs so then I started thinking, I know there's a business out there for this. I know there's a need out there for this. And so I started researching and researching and researching, like for all of these, like Florida, California, Texas, all of these other areas. The state of Louisiana really doesn't have a, a mobile grooming industry. The state in itself, there was one or two in Shreveport, one maybe in Baton Rouge, one or two in New Orleans. I mean, that's it. And they're all independents. Um, Mississippi, same thing. So after Phyllis said, you know what, I'm sorry, I just can't come to you anymore. And I was like, you know, no hard feelings, no big deal. So Chance and I started talking about it, thinking about it, and I do in worse research, and I actually saw her on the side of the road on Bell Lane in West Monroe. And I just pulled my car right up in there, knocked on the door on the trailer, and I said, hey. She goes, hey, Christy, what's up? And I said, listen, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And she goes, all right. Who do you think you're, do you have anybody in mind? I said, I think I got a couple of girls in mind. And um, she said, okay. And I said, would you train them? And she goes, yeah. So she asked, well, think about the price. 
You know, this is blind faith. I could train these girls and they can be like, okay, thanks for the training. Bye. You know, um, but look at, at the, the testament to the person that she was in a business model that had somebody coming up to her saying, hey, I'm fixing to be your competition in town. Will you train my people for me? You know what? It had to be a relationship you had with her. Though. It was. And I don't think she ever really, she was kind of relieved that there was other people. Plus the price point of mobile. I mean, grooming in, in its by itself was so low that um, it really needed to be higher. That is a skill. That is things that people cannot do. I mean, people should not be doing $40 golden doodles. I mean, that is... Um, I mean, the price There's point. Work. It, there is work. You and don't skill. understand how much work there is on Golden Doodle till you try to brush one out that hadn't been brushed out in a week. That's right. That's some work. That's I'm not right. talking about the cut or anything else. That's but right. That's some work. So she was actually really excited about it. She knew that her time was, you know, she was really wanting to go back into the brick and mortar. Sure. And um, so she knew it was a matter of time with that. And I think within two years, she went and got her own shop in, in Calhoun. And um, and she trained the first three groomers, and then by groomer number four, group, my groomer number one was able to train her. Good. And DKS Mobile Grooming have no idea what we were going to name it. I always um, short name sh- nickname Delta Canine Solutions DKS. So I so said we're just going to say DKS Mobile Grooming, and DKS Mobile Grooming was born on October seventh, um, two thousand seventeen. And now we are, goodness, we have 10 groomers. 10 groomers. How many vehicles y'all run? So we have... At DKS? We have eight vans. Um, I have two other vans that are are being built. One being rebuilt, one being built. Um, And then on top of that, you got a new venture. So... After six years into DKS Mobile Grooming, I realized that we have a an enormous bath dog, um, which I, that was a surprise to me. I didn't think I'd have a lot of bath dog clients. So these are just people that I don't need them trimmed or cut. Right. I these just are pit bulls, to, labs, yeah. golden retrievers, Frenchies, pugs. Just come short, wash my dirty dog. Right. Well, that plus they shed. You know, they shed. So they want their dog deshedded. They okay. still want, you know, their nails cut. You know, they don't want, they want um, ears clean. They want teeth brush, anal glands expressed, all of those things. And um, so it's like, okay, well, let's make something super fun out of this. So I started thinking about ambulances. Okay. Um, and I found an amazing ambulance that's been converted and into a mobile grooming van. So it's now an ambulance. It's going to launch, I think, next week. We called it Paw Patrol. It's, you know, a little playoff on the on the cartoon. And the lights work, everything. I mean, we're not going to run it. I'm going to have to disconnect it with my groomers because I'm going to be too afraid. I won't trust them. <laughs> but what Paw Patrol does for us, it relieves the groomers where we can actually take the bath dogs off of the groomers Put them on to groomers that are waiting for a van to be built. Give them, you know, an opportunity to make more money um, after they are after they after they've gone through all of their testing and and mock days and everything. That I know that I'm confident with them now grooming sure. dogs, and um, that gives them an opportunity and and it's and it's fun. So that's our that's 
that's another company we didn't, that's it's kind of a surprise. We just kind of thought about that about a year ago, and now we're, it's been a year in the making. Not like you didn't have enough going on. I know, right now. I know. But I think more. this is going to be it. Well, there it, we are going to eventually get into cats. So cat, um, the mobile meow will be coming soon. <laughs> When you get into cat training, I want to be not able to... Not cat training. No, no, if you ever do, I want to see that one. Not cat training, but the mobile meow. Yeah. I've already LLC'd it, you know, <laughs> so nobody can take that name. But the mobile meow um, will be will be coming. I just don't know when. So that's the next. That's going to be the next one and the last one. I don't say last. I mean, <laughs> That'll it be looks it. like you guys have been on a roll for pretty much everything that you guys have started. I'm not trying to make it out to where life is has never thrown any obstacles your direction, but it's a testament to what if you love what you do and you're willing to put the work behind it um, and take care of people, which you guys do and do really, really well, um, you have business that can flourish and you guys have a great reputation in the neighborhood and not just neighborhood, but in the uh, our whole area with people who know what's going on and know how to take care of people. So I'm really fortunate that you guys came in to, uh, to just kind of share your story. And if there's anything we can do to help you guys grow, know that our yes is on the table for you. If somebody wants to uh, reach out to you guys, I want y'all to know that we're going to put uh, your information. So this will be on video and on audio in all of our show notes. We'll have all the contact information, how people can reach out to you guys. And, and we hope the best for y'all and that this is just a continuation of what you guys are already doing. You continue to grow as far as you want to go. Well, we appreciate the invite here and the opportunity to talk about our ventures and what we do. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I just, you know, it's a, I think it's important that everybody has an opportunity to be able to have their story told. And um, I think what you guys are, do is great. And hopefully, um, if there's just one person that listens to this that um, gets inspired by your story, whether it's to start a business or to take a new approach to the, Definitely the next was a leap purchase. Of faith. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just really appreciate what you guys do in our community, and I think well, uh, your you. service is just fantastic. So thank you guys for coming out. Thank you so much. And uh, we just uh, look forward to see what the I'm future has. I'm excited about this podcast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank you, guys. Y'all take care. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this podcast. We really appreciate your involvement. Please leave us a comment, or even better yet, subscribe to this podcast and hit that notification bell so that you can be alerted for every new episode when it hits. <laughs>